0: The paging device turned off, suggesting he didn't want to be disturbed. Rolla lifted the body's left hand. It was still warm. When the medical examiner arrived around 7 p.m., Rolla rolled the body over, struggling to keep it from slipping down the hillside. There was a small hole in the back of the head. Blood stained the back of the shirt. After taking several Polaroid snapshots, he searched the pants pocket, which seemed empty. He removed a watch, a ring, and the beeper. The beeper was marked with the letters WHCS. When Rolla got back to the parking lot, he opened the door of the unlocked Honda. The suit jacket did indeed match the trousers. Inside the jacket was a wallet with $282 in cash and an Arkansas driver's license identifying the owner as Vincent W. Foster, Jr., As Rolla searched the jacket, his colleague, Cheryl Braun, noticed a plasticized identification card attached to a chain that must have been lying under the jacket. She looked at it closely. "Uh Uh-oh, he has a White House ID here, she said. Rolla reached for the card. It had a photo of Foster, his name, and the phrase, White House Communications. This looks like the guy, Rolla said. He knew that plenty of people worked in the White House, many at relatively menial tasks. Still, this could be significant. Braun thought she recognized the name and that Vincent Foster might be somebody important. We'd better notify the Secret Service, Rolla said. There was an air of excitement at the White House as the President's staff checked final preparations for an interview with Larry King. The talk show Empresario was interviewing the President that evening, broadcasting live from the ground floor library of the White House. It was Clinton's first appearance on Larry King since the inauguration, and the President and his staff saw it both as an opportunity to relive some of the talk show triumphs of the campaign and to put the recent snafus, gays in the military, the White House travel office, behind them. King himself seemed to be reveling in his access to the president and the unusual opportunity to broadcast his show right from the White House. Thomas F. Mack McClarty, the president's chief of staff, stopped in to make sure everything was set for the interview, then joined senior advisor George Stephanopoulos, counselor to the president Bruce Lindsay, and communications director Mark Guerin in the residence to watch the interview on television. But once it seemed to get off to a good start, McClarty excused himself and walked out into the broad corridor on the ground floor of the White House, planning to join his wife at home. He noticed Bill Burton, his staff director, hurrying toward him. "'Mac, I have tragic news,' Burton began. "'There's a body at Fort Marcy Park that appears to be Vincent Foster. It appears to be suicide.' McClarty was stunned. He'd known Foster practically all his life." They'd grown up together in Hope, Arkansas, Clinton's birthplace. Tall and thin as a teenager, Foster was still known to McClarty by his high school nickname "Pencil." McClarty had gone on to head Arkla, the big Arkansas gas utility, and Foster had become a partner in Little Rock's Rose law firm. As chairman of the Arkansas Democratic Party, McClarty had become close to Bill Clinton. And Foster had forged a closer relationship with Hillary Clinton, his fellow litigation partner and soulmate at the Rose firm. They'd often bump into each other at Sunday buffets at the Country Club of Little Rock and at the Clintons' birthday parties. It seemed impossible that Vince was dead. McClarty had gone over to chat with Foster that morning in the Rose Garden when Louis Free was nominated as the new FBI director. Vince had chuckled at something McClarty had said, as he often did. Surely there was a mistake, or at least the possibility of a mistake. Burton allowed that the body hadn't yet been positively identified. Bill Kennedy, one of the White House lawyers and another former Rose partner, was on his way to the Fairfax County Hospital morgue to identify the body. Still, there was little likelihood that the identification by the Park Police had been mistaken. David Watkins, an Arkansas native who was head of White House management, was heading over to the Foster home. Even as he continued to talk with Burton, McClarty found himself pushing his own thoughts and reactions out of his mind. Whatever had happened to Foster, his job now was to serve the interests of the president, who was being televised live down the hall. Was news of Foster's death about to go out on the news wires? Surely it was only a matter of time. Should he interrupt the Larry King interview?